have you have enjoyed Prophet Steve Dehoney these last few days? Amen. Hasn't that been a blessing? And he is, he is truly a man of God. And uh, he really, it really ignited a fire in me last night. He got me, he got me stirred up last night. And, um, but I'm going to try to behave this morning because I feel like I'm on an assignment. I really do feel like God wants to do something very, very specific today. And so I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And uh, I don't want to get caught up preaching and miss that window and that opportunity for God to minister around these altars later. But I do have something I want to share with you from Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. This is a very familiar verse of scripture. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. I want to talk to you today a little bit about the law of the spirit of life. You know, when we talk about Christianity, how have you realized that there's really no Christianity without a cross? Amen. How have you would say amen to that? And if we're guilty as a church nowadays, it's we have a crossless Christianity that's preached to people. I mean, you know, people are, uh, they come to God by joining the church. They come to God by shaking the preacher's hands. They come to God by attending long enough and going to some class. Uh... But have you know, that's not how that we come to God. We come to God. Amen. The Bible says, godly sorrow worketh tears of repentance unto salvation. We come to God through repentance. We come to God by coming to the cross and dying with Christ on the cross and being resurrected a new creature. I mean, one great preacher put it like this. I've tried to really plant this in the hearts of the people. Amen. Conviction is what gives us the power to repent. Repentance, the power to believe. Believing, the power to be changed. And once changed, there is the awesome possibility of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is the process of salvation. However, what's interesting to me is as we study the book of Acts, we'll find that the cross of Christ is not mentioned unless they're preaching to sinners. That's messing with some of you a little bit right there. Because you, you were at the Baptist church and they preached the cross every Sunday. <laughs> Amen. And some of you, maybe you get Jimmy Swaggart on Angel 2 Network and he preaches the cross every time he ever preaches. And so how do we compare that? But, but if you look in the book of Acts and we're looking for a model for a New Testament church, literally dozens and dozens of times it talks about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I heard one, I heard one preacher say it like this. He said, we need to quit hanging around the tomb. We're trying to have Pentecost. Amen. I heard another preacher say, get off the cross, we need the wood. We're trying to build a church. <laughs> say, what are you talking about? See, some people were so caught up in this death that we never move into life. And we don't understand that life and in life is the power to overcome. Amen. The warfare is not in the flesh. How many of you know when you got saved, you started in the flesh? Well, I didn't get an amen right there. Let me help you to remember, you're, you were a liar, you were a cheat, you were a thief. Amen. If you could drink it, you drank it. If you could smoke it, you smoked it. If you could, some of you, if you could pop the pill, you popped it. Okay? And, some, and quite frankly, some of you, if you could screw it, you screwed it. And I'm not talking about home improvement. You were in the flesh your whole life. It was all about you, wasn't it? 
It's all about the next thrill and the next thing. But when you came to God, you came to God in the flesh, and in the flesh, we can only confront the flesh with the cross. There's nothing else you can do with flesh but kill it. There is nothing else you can do with it. I mean, that's just all you can do. But there is a residue of the flesh, amen, that is the carnal mind. Carnal, carnivorous, carnivore, flesh, the fleshly mind. And your mind, in that sense, represents and holds the strongholds of who you used to be. So even though that you have laid your flesh down before God and you have been saved and now you're what? The Bible says you're a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. We are still entangled with strongholds in our mind, thought processes, false premises, ungodly principles that govern our thought life. And the Bible says, amen, that the carnal mind is the enemy of God. Everyone say the enemy of God. Now, I know you thought that was the devil, but that's not the case. The carnal mind is the enemy of God. Now, if the carnal mind, now I heard one translation that says the carnal mind is hostile towards God. Now, what is God? That's a good question. I mean, we can define God as a who, we can define God as a what, because he's beyond our comprehension, but God is truth, pure and simple. God is love, pure and simple. God is light. The Bible says he's an unapproachable light. Amen. God is power. God is all of these things, and if God is truth, then what is hostile towards truth? And what is fighting against truth is the old mindset. And see, I hope you can get this early and get it quick and we can move on. Most people, they're still trying to confront the hostile mind with the cross. You say, why? Well, all they ever do is they go out, they live like they want to, and do what they want to, or, or they try to do good. Let me put it to you like that. See if this sounds familiar. You try to do good, then you mess up again, and what do you do? You come back and you repent. And that's the way they live their whole Christian life. And there's a light. I'll tell you what, it's a guilty, miserable way to live. You feel like you're on a treadmill, don't you? I mean, just, you know, as, as, as one preacher said, you're on the, you're, you're, you're on the donut. In the wilderness, you just keep coming back to the same problems. How do you understand that? But see, that's because you're trying to confront the hostile mind, the enemy of God, amen, with a remedy for the soul, with a remedy for the spirit. The spirit's been renewed. We're not going to go back to the cross and get saved all over again every day. I mean, there's nothing wrong with grace and his mercy's new every morning. And I know the old song, I keep coming back to the well of grace. But you know, if, if all you ever do is go out and live like you want to and then repent once a day, what kind of a light are you? What kind of a transform? What victory is there over sin? Have you following me? Have you want to have victory over sin? Have you hate sin? Come on, I, I already covered that. Don't get me started on that. I hate sin. Sin brought sickness, disease, and death. Anybody ever lose somebody you love and you had to say goodbye? You know why we have to say goodbye? Because of sin. You ever been to the hospital and watched somebody suffering with a horrible disease? Hey, man, you know why that disease exists in the world? Because of sin. I hate sin. You know, sometimes when we say we need to view sin the way God views it, hey amen, and sometimes people struggle with that, that's because they don't, they don't take step two and look at the consequences of sin. That's why I said the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So what are you saying, Priya? Are you saying we shouldn't repent? No, I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't repent. We should always be in that state of repentance, but what we need to do is go back and deal with the mindset 
that got us into that trouble. Because if we can fix our mind and get our mind renewed and have the mind of Christ in us, have, you know, if we, if we have the mind of Christ in us, we'll have victory over sin. I think sometimes people think I'm crazy because I believe that Christians can live a sinless life. You say, why do you believe that? Because Jesus did. And he said, these things shall you do and even greater things than these. And that's not just his miracles. Amen. He showed us the way to get set free. But the problem is we keep going back to kindergarten and we keep just saying, well, I'm going to repent and then I'm going to start all over again. But our mind has not been renewed by what? The word of God. The renewing of your mind, amen, is to begin to push away the old thoughts and the old systems and begin to adopt the principles of God's word as yes and amen. Are you with me? And so our freedom, and so what happens? Then we are, we're in bondage to temptation. So what do you mean? Well, we can live good for a while as long as there's no temptation. But the old mind's still in us. The old nasty thoughts, the old excuses, they're all still right there just waiting for the right temptation to come along and to trip us up. And when the right temptation comes along, what do we do? We stumble and we fall and then we run back to Jesus. Jesus oh, we run back to the cross. Lord, save me. But I present to you this thought. And that is that when you are changed at salvation, you are eternally and forever changed. Have you believed that? Somebody said, are you saying you're going to go to heaven no matter what? No, I'm saying you'll go to hell as a prodigal and as a rebel, but you'll never go to hell as a heathen who didn't know you've been changed. You've been changed. I'm not saying you can't break covenant with God, and I'm not saying that you can't go to hell if you've been saved, but I'm telling you, you're going to go to hell as a different creature. You're not a heathen anymore. You're not as those who have never known. You're among those who tasted. Amen. The Bible says once you've tasted, you can't go back. Doesn't mean you can't suffer the consequences and judgment of God, but you can't go back to who you were. Have you ever met somebody who served God for a while and then they went back into the world? They're not the same, are they? Bring up church and see what happens. They're liable to chew your arm off and your ear and just bring it up. They know what they are. I love the testimony that my mom shared at my brother's funeral when he was over in Germany. You know, Ron was always kind of relished being the black sheep of the family and he wasn't serving God. And he would write these letters from Germany and he would sign them, your prodigal son. He thought he was being a smart aleck, but my mom said he didn't even know he was prophesying into his own future that one day he was coming home. Hey, you can't be like those that don't know. Hey, man, I said, you can't say you don't know. You lie to everybody in your family and say, I tried God. It didn't work for me, but there's something inside of you that knows that it's real. I remember I had a brother-in-law years ago, and, and uh, he'd be sitting there around the holidays, and he'd have a gin in his hand, and he'd be sipping that gin, and I'd get around him. And listen, this is something I've learned, and I want to teach this to all of you today because I'm sick and tired of trying to fix this, all right? And you need to quit trying to fix it. Matter of fact, we need to turn it up a little bit, if you don't mind me saying this. And that is the fact that when you're anointed of God, it doesn't matter what you say, you convict people. And there are people that are not in your life today that made every excuse in the world to get away from you, but it wasn't you. It was the Christ in you, the anointing in you that they were trying to get away from. Because I can walk up to people, you know, that haven't been to church in years, and I walk up and I don't even say nothing. Hi, how you doing? And they say, oh, we're coming back. We're, we're coming home. Hey, man, we love Jesus. I don't know what's been going on in my life. I didn't ask. I just want, how you doing? Is that a new car? Boy, that's a nice car. And, and I'm saying that's a nice car. And you know what they hear? God has called you. <laughs> I can't turn that off. 
Have you understand that? And that's just not because I'm a preacher. That's the anointing. And see, some of you have the anointing in your life, and you get around people, they start hiding the beer bottles and everything. You don't even know why they're doing it. They're hiding it. I'll never forget, you know, my brother-in-law, he would start drinking a little bit, and he'd start feeling a little t- and then all of a sudden he'd start testifying. I tell you, I know God's real. Preacher, let me tell you something. When I was eight years old, they took me to a miracle service and the doctors had given up on me and God touched me and I felt something go through and I, I, I know it's real. I said, what are you doing about it? I'm just trying to have Thanksgiving, all right? But this is what I get caught up in. It's called the anointing. The anointing, it just, it challenges them. It just, you know, it, you, it, listen, they don't, even, you could say, well, hey, you know, some of the people that have cut me off, they're Christian people. Oh, they're the worst. Well, I'm not getting much help right there. They're the worst, you see. You say, why? Because they're not even, they're not even necessarily running from the conviction, amen, of sin. They're running from the conviction of not pursuing the high call of God. See, they decided to go the Laodicean path and do some kind of half-baked Christian thing. And you come walking on the scene and they know you're sold out the whole route. Help me preach this one. They know you got something in your spirit and what do they do? They don't want to be around you at all. All of a sudden, they can't even get near you. They just, everything you say, hello, how are you doing? Well, what did they mean by that? Who do they think they are? Hello, they should have let me talk first. I don't know why they always got to be the first one to talk. And then when they leave, you say goodbye. It was nice to see you. Yeah, he's a last word freak. What? What changed? I didn't change. Their heart changed. And when their attention turned away from God, all of a sudden I'm impalatable. I, I just don't taste like I, they used to love to eat the fruit off of my life. But now my fruit don't taste good because my fruit, while I'm saying, hello, how you doing? Is that a new car? Nice dress? All they hear is, why aren't you preaching the gospel, man of God? Hey! And I think we ought to quit apologizing for that and turn that up a little bit. So what are you talking about? See, the, the, the mind is not only confronted by the word, but the Bible says the letter of the law killeth, but the spirit maketh alive. So the key, amen, to walking in victory, amen, is when the Word and the Spirit come together. When an anointed word hits your mind and you have a sila moment, you have an aha moment, the light goes off. Have you know when we say the light goes off, God goes off. When an anointed word confronts something that's in you that is not of God, we have to be sensitive to that and then take ownership to it. Take ownership to it and then not only in an intellectual sense, but have you know, it's not the seed that's planted in our mind that will change us. It's the seed that's planted in our heart. How do I get something out of my mind into my heart? Have you ever wondered that? I'd like to have that in my heart. Have you know some things are good, but you still get mad and do the opposite? And while you're doing the opposite, your brain's telling you you're going to regret this. You know you're going to regret this. When it's all over, you're sitting there thinking, I know better than this. I knew it. Going in, what happened? That's because it's in your head. It's not in your heart. Your head knows better, but your heart. See, your heart is what you live See, the mind, we can assess what's coming in. The, the subconscious mind remembers everything. But the heart is what flows out of a man. That's why the Bible says, not what goeth into a man that defileth him, but that which cometh out will be judged by our heart. And how do I get what I know is the truth into my heart? Let me tell you one of the keys right here. Can I do that? you got to say it. And speak it yourself. Something happens when you say it yourself. It's not enough for the preacher to say. 
hey, you need, to, you need to walk this way. You need to think this way. It's not enough. How do you know if that was enough, the church would be holy? Come on, be honest. I've, I've, I've said enough. We'd be a holy church. Wouldn't we? We'd be a on fire church. We'd all brought 10 people with us this morning. Well, it's quiet in here, but I mean, I'm just saying, if it, if it was all, if it was, if you did everything I ever said and ever preached, my God, you'd be walking on water this morning. Some of you would have floated in. You wouldn't even need your shoes. You know, you could have just, you could just floated in here and glowed for Jesus. I mean, if everything I preached, I mean, we've preached about the inner sanctum. We preach about the deep and holy things of God. And if all I had to do was say it and you got it, man, that'd be great, wouldn't it? But you've got to speak it for yourself. Why? Because only when you say it yourself does it become your seed. It's not your seed till you say it. When you say it, it's your seed. When you begin to speak it out of your own mouth, amen, the Bible says you will harvest the fruit of your lips. In other words, you have to convince yourself. No one can do that for you. I can stand here all day and argue the points of Calvinism, but if you choose to believe Calvinism, you're going to believe Calvinism. We had a young man going to this church, argued at me no matter how many times I gave him great works written by Baptist ministers confronting the lie of Calvinism. It didn't mean anything to him. He believed it. He believed it for a personal issue in his own life. Somebody, a man that he wanted to believe went to heaven. You know, and so he had, a, he, had an, he had an outside reason for wanting to lean towards that doctrine. And there was nothing I could do to change his mind, even though I told him the truth. I preached it when I was anointed of the Holy Spirit. I gave him great books to read. The bottom line is he was going to believe what he wanted to believe because of a hurt and a pain and an issue in his own life. And he wasn't willing to confront that hurt and give the word of God the final say. And so you have to be convinced yourself. And the only way you're ever going to be convinced yourself is you have to convince yourself. Ain't nobody else going to convince you. Have you know, you're going to have to convince yourself. You say, why? Because I'm up here preaching and I don't know that somebody in your life who maybe was backslidden at the time committed suicide. And I don't know that's why that you've grabbed hold of something false in order to pour that into that wound to try to bring some kind of healing. But have you know, if it's not truth, then it won't be a, it won't be a pure healing because only truth lasts. Truth is eternal. And it'll be a temporary, it, it's almost like somebody having cancer and you give them an aspirin. It may help them with the pain, but the aspirin's still eating them up. I mean, the cancer's still eating them up. And so... I don't know what your issues are. I don't know where it came from. You know, you don't have to be sitting there uh, 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 like, like one preacher was talking recently and talked about how that his, his father, when he raised him, he was just, you know, he told him, keep, keep everything, you know. Get everything you can, can everything you get. That's how he was raised. But when you come in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God says give. But have you know, it's hard to let go of what your natural father tells you. I don't know that. I don't know that's where that stronghold came from, but you do. And so you have to convince yourself. You have to go back, and that's why we search our heart. The Bible says don't have a divided heart. We have to be singular in our heart. And what is that? We're singular in our heart, amen, in this sense. Jesus is the word, and if our heart belongs to Jesus, then the word will have full authority over what we think and what we believe. Did you hear what I just said? Full authority. Yeah, but I don't feel right. Well, it doesn't matter if it feels right. I mean, no, a lot of things don't feel right when you read them. I, I've read the word of God. And there's some hard things in there and it don't feel right. It just doesn't. It hurts. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just thinking about the fact that there are one billion people on the planet and, and God sent the flood and saved eight. Well, we're approaching seven billion right now. Think about that. 
we're just now getting 7 billion. That one-seventh of, of all the people living on the planet right now, that's how many God killed in the flood. That seems a little harsh to me. Doesn't feel like mercy to me. But it's the truth. It's the truth. And when we begin to study and see the wickedness of men, when we see the pollution of the angels lying with the daughters of men, we see the condition of the planet, we can see the mercy of God in the fact that he even saved eight and gave humanity another chance. Amen. But we have to study to show ourselves approved, a workman that needed not to be ashamed. Now, this isn't, nobody's shouting this morning, but as new truth comes to light and as the mysteries of God are expounded in these last days, how are they expounded? They're expounded through the Spirit of God. And he tells us the key right here, amen, to this spirit of life and walking in life is to have that focus not upon the death, but upon the life. Not upon the death, but upon the life. So I didn't come to church to find out what's wrong with me. I came to church to find more life, more light, more truth. Why? Because the truth will make me free. And the church, if anybody's guilty, I'll raise my hand and say I'm guilty. And more so than many others to come to church and explain the problem, but not explain the answer. Amen. We all know what's wrong with the church today, don't we? I mean, we've heard that sermon a million times. We're lukewarm. We're, you know, we're this, we're that. But praise God, what about the answer? What about the life? What about the light? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And when we hear the life, that's what, that's what allows us and empowers us to confront the darkness. So it's not just another process of coming to Jesus and constantly living in failure. Amen. I am living right now, amen, based on what revelation is in my life, what is in my heart. I am right now. That's what I'm living. That's what I'm experiencing. If I don't like my harvest, then I got to do something about the soil. Have you understand that? And what I allow to be planted. Now the problem we have is when it comes to our heart, have you know that the soil is neutral? Have you realized what I'm saying by that? The soil is neutral. In other words, if you plant weeds in the soil, weeds will grow. And if you plant flowers, flowers will grow. And if you plant vegetables, vegetables will grow. So the soil is neutral. And that's where your heart is. Whatever you allow to be planted in your heart is what's going to grow there. That's why the Bible says guard it. Protect. Don't let just anything get in there. Don't let somebody talk about somebody that you love. Oh, it's quiet in here. Don't give verbiage to your issues with your spouse. I'm not getting any help today. I think it's a good message. Don't, don't, don't give verbiage to your issues with your spouse. Why? Because when you speak them, they become seed. There's power in the word. There's power in the seed. You can think all the stupid thoughts that you want to, and the devil doesn't know nothing about it. He cannot read your mind. God knows the thoughts and the intents of your heart, but the devil doesn't know what you're thinking until you're dumb enough to open up your mouth and tell him. And you know the problem we have? There's enough spirits out there in the world trying to confront my faith. There's plenty of atheists out there trying to tell me that religion's a crutch. There's plenty of news people out there trying to tell me that there's nothing good in this world. Convince me how negative and how horrible and everything is and how afraid that I should be. There's plenty of that out there. There's plenty of negativity in the workplace. Plenty of people sitting around talking about the boss, talking about this wrong with the company, that's wrong with the company, and... They don't treat us fair. There's plenty of that out there. There's plenty of people sowing tares. Hey, man, I need to sow good seed. I need to speak words of life. I need to bless what God has given me. Amen. I said, I need to bless what God has given me. I remember years ago, I used to just crack on Shepherdsville hard. I'm just going to be honest with you. 
I mean, I would. I cracked on it hard, hard, hard. And then finally God convicted me about it. He said, that's your city. Amen. They don't, they don't talk about my city. You know what I'm saying? Steve was saying something about Frisch's last night. I said, this is the crown jewel in the Shepherdsville restaurant area. Don't say anything about it. Praise the Lord. You don't know what devils we fought just to be able to sit down in here and have a super big boy. You have no idea. Lawsuits and racism and all kinds of demons had to be pulled down for us to just even have a frishes. And so we're not going to say anything bad about frishes. I mean, we're just going to bless it until God gives us something better because I'm not going to rob myself. You got to watch yourself. There's power in your words. You know, years ago, the church leased us an Oldsmobile silhouette van, and we had problems with the brakes over and over again, had problems with the front brakes. So uh, Brother Lewis and I took it over there to the Tri-County Oldsmobile, and we pulled in there, and the guy said, well, listen, I'm going to turn your rotors. And I said, listen, we got 12,000 miles on this van. You're going to turn them rotors. You're going to replace those rotors. And boy, the guy got all upset, and finally we argued back and forth, and he said, I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to replace the rotors. And when we got back, uh, we went out to lunch, came back. The job was supposed to be done. When we got back, he had lied and turned the rotors. And I had half of mine to sick Brother Lewis on him. But we had to go somewhere, and I said, listen, we'll leave. And he said, well, pastor, what are you going to do? I said, I just dust my feet off from this place right here. I said, I curse it in Jesus' name. That's all I said. I was just half joking when I said it. We drove away. A week later, came back. It was plowed down to the ground. I mean, they plowed it over. Built, I started building a hospital. It was gone. I was like, Lewis said, kind of overshot there, didn't you, pastor? <laughs> I said, now where am I going to get my Oldsmobile worked on? I mean, the closest dealership, you better watch what you say. You better watch it. It was gone. I mean, I, it was like, it's like an hour to the next Oldsmobile dealer. I mean, it didn't help myself at all. Of course, they shouldn't have messed with a man of God either. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The truth is, I mean, there's power, incredible power in what you say. When you say something, it becomes a seed. And that's why we have to be careful what we allow into our heart. Now listen, everything we hear doesn't go into our heart. That's a lie from the pits of hell. We choose what to allow into our heart. That's why when somebody says something nasty to us, we can choose to say, boy, I, I hope she's not having a bad day. Something seems to be bothering her. I'm going to pray for her. We can choose to respond like that or we can choose to say, you know what, she's always had a problem with me. And I'm not going to be around her anymore and I don't have to get treated this way. I'm a person too. I deserve respect. We choose that response. Now, I'm not getting a lot of help right here, but this is real right here. This will help you this week, get you some joy. You choose whether you let that into your heart. I refuse to let that into my spirit. I will not be offended. I will not be angry. I will not be bitter. Hurting people hurt people. I choose to see their pain. And because of that now, my heart is now what? It's free. You only got so much that you can grow in your heart. How do you know that? There's only so much you can grow in here. You, it's, just, it's just like having an acre. You, only, you can only produce so much off of an acre. And some people, we can't understand why we don't have much joy in our life. That's because we got 75% tears, 75% bitterness, anger. I told someone last night, let it go. They, we were joking, but I told them last night, let it go. Let it go, okay? Coach cut you back in high school. Let it go. Why? Because if, if that's there in your heart, there's space for something better. There's space for something from God. See, that's why John the Baptist was so incredible. He did no miracles. 
Do you understand that? I mean, and yet Jesus said he was greater than all the prophets because he understood I must decrease that he might increase. That's why Jesus came into the garden and said, not my will, but thy will. Why did he go to the garden to pray? Because God was trying to show us that every one of us have a garden. And some of it is filled with our will and our wants and our desires. But if we're willing to lay that aside and speak life and speak the word of God and the purpose of God and the destiny of God over our lives then we'll live of that garden and we'll perform God's purpose. And what happened? Jesus saved the world. I said he saved the world, conquered sin and conquered death because he was willing to weed his own garden. You know, we come to church every Sunday hoping the pastor will weed the garden for us, don't we? I mean, let's just be honest. Some folks are addicted to it. I'm bad about that myself. I'd love to come to church and have the preacher get on me. That's way better than having the Holy Ghost do it. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not saying the Holy Spirit's not involved when the preacher's preaching, but you know, it's, just, it's better than God telling you yourself. Having the preacher get up and preach like I am right now, and maybe there's a nice allegory, a joke or two. Everybody enjoyed Oldsmobile. And by the way, now Oldsmobile's completely out of business, really overshot that one. I mean, way overshot. I repent. I'm sorry. I should not have cursed it. You know, I didn't realize I was in a Kairos moment when I said what I did and just cursed the whole thing all the way back to the manufacturer. They don't even make them anymore. Got a good friend's got an Oldsmobile, can't get parts for it. Brother Richard Reese, when he was here, he said they've had his car for three months. He's got an old Cutlass. They can't find parts for it. They're like down south searching junkyards trying to find parts for his Oldsmobile because nobody makes them anymore. Way overshot. But see, you can hear it and the message is fun and everything. And that's way better than just having the Holy Ghost come up and say, you know what, you're selfish. You're totally selfish and you don't spend enough time with your children. See, I don't know how the Holy Ghost talks to some of you, see, because... But I know how he talks to me. I was, you know, I, I, I was telling Steve last night, I said, I don't know about the rest of the people. I start going through these trials and stuff like that. I try to wake Jesus up, and he's like, why'd you wake me up? I know how the, I know how the disciples felt. He's like, what'd you wake me up for? You ever going to have any faith? Starting to think I'm the only one God talks to that way. You know what I'm saying? Everybody else, he's like, I'm there for you. You're going to be all right. Man, Jesus is like, get it together. How long are you going to run around this thing? That's what the Holy Ghost came to do, to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort. And when you get real with God, God will get real with you. Have you ever noticed this? When people, when people are like about to fall to pieces, you can't be honest with them. You know what I'm talking about? And maybe the reason God talks to me that way is because we have a, we've come to a place in our relationship where we know I'm not going anywhere no matter what he says. But there's still so many of us, Jesus is still in relationship with you. He's in relationship with you, but he's like, boy, you look, you look marvelous. <laughs> and doggone it, people like you. He's just trying to keep you together. <laughs> But God wants to deal with your garden. He wants to get stuff out of your heart. He wants to make room for himself. You say, why? I, I walked up to a young man the other day. He was an intern for me one summer. He's not serving the Lord right now. I said, I got a word for you. He goes, oh, no. I said, no, it's only one word. It's not a word from God. It's just one word. He goes, what's that? I said, destiny. Think about it. What's your destiny? Well, when you start thinking about destiny and you start thinking about the call of God, why did God put you here? And then you start looking through your garden. There's a lot of stuff in there that's not that important, is it? I can live without this if I can reach that destiny. I can go without this if I can reach that. And then begin to speak that life, the life, the law of life in the spirit. To walk in the spirit. If we walk in the spirit, the Bible says we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
Get off the repentance merry-go-round. Get off the getting saved every day merry-go-round. And begin to let God develop you and mature you and make you into a warrior. A mighty warrior. Dressed for battle. Ready to take hold of the promises of God. Ready to fight hell regardless of what they see. My God, that's the kind of saints I remember. Amen. When I was a child, the saints of God, amen, maybe they didn't have the verbiage that we do today. They didn't have the Greek and the Hebrew, but they'd been through some things. And they had some scars. And they had some wounds that they'd received in warfare. And when a report came in from the doctor, amen, the the prayer warriors would get together and say, we're not going to receive this report. And they'd start to pray. They'd call on God. No, they didn't they didn't know how to name it or claim it, but they stood on the promises of God and declared his word. Said we're not going to receive this. Amen. Times where their church would have an impromptu prayer meeting. Amen. Because somebody called the church. They said, Sister so and so is about to have a baby, but she's in trouble. The doctor just told him the baby's breach. The husband just called the pastor. The pastor called the elders. The elders called the intercessors. And they gathered together and they said, We will not accept this. And we speak life over this situation. There'll be no death to the mother, no death to the child, but life. Life in Jesus' name. And the report would come back, everything's okay. And time and time and again, the battle was fought. And the battle was waged. And the battle was warred. Amen. By mature believers who knew, you do not have to settle for anything that's out here as long as you know what is in here. You didn't catch it. I don't have the strength to preach this again. Hey, man, you got to get this. You don't have to settle for anything out here as long as you know what you got in here. If God be for me, who can be against me? What are you saying? The devil cannot stand before someone who has an undivided heart, whose purpose is clear, whose conscience is free. If my own heart does not condemn me, I can have confidence towards God. There's your faith, my friend. You don't need to quote that Bible verse a thousand more times and write it on your toilet paper so you can read it every time you go to the bathroom. You just need to get your heart, a singular purpose in your heart. If your heart does not condemn you, you can have confidence towards God. Miracles begin to happen when people... Their heart's not divided. We can't have one foot in the world, one foot in the church. No marriage ever survived someone who wanted to try it out. I said no marriage ever survived when one person was just trying to try it out. You've got to be committed I don't know about you, but I'm like that airplane. There's a point on every runway, and the pilots know it, where there's not enough runway left to shut it down. You either fly or you die. I've come to the place where I am either going to fly or die. I will not look back. I said, I will not look back. There are no other options. There is no plan B. It's God's way. All the way. I'm putting all my faith and trust in him. I place in him my eternal destiny. It is within his hands. And I will not allow my heart to be distracted. I won't allow it to fall in love with anything in this world. I won't allow it to become uh, uh, possessed by, by bitterness or anger or resentment or unforgiveness. I'm not going to let something perverted of this world get a hold of it. My heart is set on heaven. It's set on spending an eternity in the presence of the Lord. And like the tree that's planted by the water, I shall not be moved. You know, as we come, every one of us come to the garden, 
Every one of us have to look at the vineyard of our soul and our spirit. Let's see, what are we producing? We have to acknowledge the fact that, listen, you, can, you, can, you can't sit at home surrounded by your situation, your problems, your worries, and your concerns and say that you're sold out to God. And I'm going to go a step further. And it's not enough to usher and it's not enough to sing. We've got to be a light and we've got to be a salt and we've got to be city on a hill. We've got to be soul winners. We've got to be sold out. That's what I feel like the church today is robbing people and stealing from people the joy of really being free from sin. The joy of not being associated with this old world. Man, I thank God that we're in it, but we're not of it. Hey man, anybody else feel that way? You're in it, but you're not of it. Thank God I'm not of it. Thank God I'm not part of this sin. Thank God, thank God I'm not part of Adam's failure and Adam's fall anymore. I've been redeemed. That's what God has for us. There's life in the spirit. That word life, can I share that with you just before I close? That word life doesn't just mean life. It means abundance. It means animated excited oh god give us christians who have life who are animated who are excited amen who have an overflow and an abundance who have joy that's unspeakable and full of glory hallelujah that can rejoice in what's right i i I used to look at that verse and i was troubled by it because it says that love rejoices in the right not in the wrong it rejoices in what's pure and what's just and not what's wrong and i but as i begin to look at the world and i see the world takes joy in other people's misery they parade they get jerry springer and all these shows out there and all these poor miserable broken homes and families and they sit there and they laugh at it and they're entertained by it that's the spirit of this world but love rejoices in what's right Love gets excited when somebody says, we've been married for 50 years. Woo! Love gets excited. I'm entertained by that. I'm entertained by somebody that did it right. Entertained by a family that made it, that stuck together, that raised their kids with a mom, with a dad. Love rejoices in the right. Amen. We've got to get this world out of our heart, out of our spirit. And let our mind be renewed in Christ. I want you to convince yourself to garden your own heart. I don't have time to preach all of this, but just let me lay this out there real quick. We begin by gardening our heart, by gardening our environment. You got to watch what you let in. You got to guard what you're listening to, the music, the, the other things. Guard those things. Guard your conversations. Guard the very words that you speak yourself most of all because they have the most power. Those are your seed. The last thing I want to do is sow tears in someone else's miracle. You know what I'm talking about. Some young person, I'm going to be a doctor. Well, that sure costs a lot of money and it takes eight years and you got to have a lot of determination. And a lot of people start out and they never make it. And I don't know where you would ever get the money to pay for all that schooling. Shut up. Shut up and sow some life. Sow life into their vision. Hey, if you, if you believe God, God will make a way for you. Trust the Lord. God will help you with that. That's a wonderful vision, a wonderful call. So life. Oh, I don't know how we're going to make it. Can I tell you? God's going to help us. Come on, touch three people and say, God will make a way. Where there is no way. Tell the person behind you, God's a way maker. God's more than enough. I want you to bow your heads with me right now. I want the prayer team to come. I want the Spirit of the Lord to take over this service right now. I want you to shift your heart and your mind, amen, away from the things of the world right now. And I want you to focus in on the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. 
I want us to create an atmosphere for healing today. An atmosphere for change and transformation. And I want those altar workers to come. Line up right across the front. I want you to be here. I want you to make ready. God's going to move today in these altars. I'm not going to qualify, explain, or re-preach this sermon to give this altar call. I'm going to ask you to be honest with God right now. I'm going to ask you to look at your own heart. And when I say divided, I'm not talking about divided in half. I'm talking about if just if 99% for Jesus and 1% for the world, I want you to come down here. We're praying for an undivided heart. And I'm asking for every person that's in this place who would be honest enough before God, who would care enough about their relationship with God, who wants to release their faith fully and totally towards God. And they're willing to acknowledge the fact that they have a divided heart this morning. And they want God to move in their life and their garden and make them a person of singular purpose. This is about all in today. I believe when you you come down here and you pray with these men and women of God, God's going to touch you. And God's going to minister to you. And God's going to honor your humility. He's going to honor your brokenness. And so I open up this altar right now. If you feel today you have a divided heart, I want you to come down here right now. Come on and let's pray together. Young people, young people, turn your attention towards God. Turn your heart towards God today. Praise the Lord. These people are to be applauded, not ashamed. Amen. God needs to be everything. He needs to be first and foremost. Amen. Let God do that work in your life today. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. There are others that need to come. I invite you to come. Amen. Today, slip out of your seat. Amen. And just say, listen, I have a divided heart. I'm ready for the change. I'm ready for transformation. Hallelujah. God's going to meet you here. God's going to give you a plan. Amen. God's going to give you a plan. You that are ministering, I loose you right now to prophesy. If God is speaking to your heart to prophesy, I loose you right now. Speak, thus saith the Lord, to these souls, to these lives. Amen. What is God saying to them? Hallelujah. Hallelujah.